0: Coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. <laughs> You'll drive right into that tree. So
1: so that stays with me. It's like, don't look at the tree when you're turning a corner. That's right. Because you're driving right into that tree. And, you, you know, the mind, the mind is really... Uh. it's. So, you know, being in medicine and, and doing what you do, like the placebo effect... Like, whenever medical research is done, they have to account for the placebo effect because the mind has that much of an impact on the body. It's not that exclusively it can change things for you. But, you know, I'll just cite one example because I thought this was fascinating. They took two groups of people. And and one of them, they had physically do finger strengthening exercises, whatever that looks like. You know, maybe they had those gripper things. Mm -hmm. The other group, they had just visualized doing them.
0: Welcome to the show from the the MD MD and Chef Chef Team. team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef Team. And who are you? I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef
1: part of the team.
0: And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because
1: he's my husband. <laughs> yes. Well, then, we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting,
0: intimacy. Ooh, ooh. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes and tips from the kitchen.
1: And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life.
0: Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh Oh, yeah, yeah. we We like like to have fun fun too. (laughs) So let's Let's get on with the show. Jonathan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing amazing. Actually, I've got all kinds of great energy. It's a beautiful day here. And uh, so yeah, I'm feeling fantastic.
0: Now, where are you? You you got the ocean? Are you in the Caribbean right now, by any chance?
1: In my mind, I am, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in reality, I'm on the prairies of Canada. Uh, I live about an hour east of the Rocky Mountains. It's actually a really beautiful area. When you drive, you drive west, um, you hit all these beautiful teal colored glacial lakes and these you know snow capped magnificent mountains and so on. And I think I take for granted that you know it'd be a lot like the South Island of New Zealand, actually. Um, and I take for granted that this is my backyard and, uh, you know, I've been through it hundreds of times, but I'm trying now to appreciate it more as I, as I get older.
0: Yes. And you've got a child.
1: I do. He's 14 months old as of yesterday from the time of recording this. And so he's a, he is the world's cutest boy. Um, no arguments on that one. Um, he's, he's, uh, he doesn't sleep a whole lot. He's very active, but he wakes up every two hours, um, But he's so sweet that it's like hard to be annoyed with him. And, uh, so when, you know, last night it was, I I don't know, 2.15 and, and I try to give my wife breaks. Um, but he really is, is deeply connected to her, which I, you know, we just had Mother's Day recently as well at the time of recording this and I, I cherish motherhood, you know, but I was just holding him in my arms and just trying to appreciate, you know, this beautiful little life that, uh, Man, he's not going to be this small for very long. Like it just, it just goes so quickly. And so instead of being upset that I was awake at 2.50 in the morning trying to help him get back to sleep, I was just, you know, trying to cherish the moment of holding my son in my arms because he's not a snuggler by day. He's a, he's a rip around. And if I'm in your arms, I'm facing outward so I can see everything happening with the world. Um, and so I was like, at least I get to hold him in my arms. I get to look at his beautiful face, like a little cherub as he's sleeping. Like, it's just, it's the best thing in the world. I, obviously I love being a dad.
0: <laughs> You're a champion in my books, because if you can do that at two fifteen in the morning, high five, <laughs> <laughs> air, five. <laughs> yeah,
1: air five.
0: Hey, Jonathan, how about if I introduce you to our listeners? Cause I haven't done that yet.
1: I, I would love that because in my head I'm I'm a legend in my own mind. So we might as well like share share the goodness with your listeners.
0: All right, hi everyone. I'm Dr. Isabel from the MD and Chef team. I'm your host today, and today we have Coach Jonathan. He is a weight loss coach, an emotional eating expert who has lost over a hundred pounds. From nanotechnology research, now that means he used to be an inorganic chemist, and they Mm. do nanotechnology, to a Navy marine engineer, wow, to globetrotting nomad, Coach John spent most of his life running from his true calling until one question changed his life. Now he's on a mission to help others lose weight for good and leave those Ba 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 diet <laughs> in the rear view mirror. He he put a bad word there. And I don't need to say bad words um, yes. with freedom, nutrition, coaching. He marries the science of metabolism with psychology of behavior change and the compassion of human connection to create life-changing transformations with his clients. Oh, I love you, Jonathan. I love that you are helping the world be better. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's it's born of my own struggle, you know, and uh, I'm I'm so grateful to get to do interviews like this because uh this is probably my 150th in in the last 12 months. But I was really unclear in one sense what I wanted to do. I like I knew I was in sense a weight loss nutritionist, but I was like, there's more that I do. And when I come on and do interviews, and people ask me questions, and they draw like because we take for granted what we do in our own life because it's just our day to day life. We just sort of. And so that really helped me clarify to you know the science of metabolism, the psychology of behavior change, and the compassion of human connection. Those three elements together blended just make uh, for remarkable change in people. And it's what I needed in my own life. Can you just
0: stop right there? You said three big idea words. Can you can you go can you go boom 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 only so that they they land into our hearts.
1: So the the science of metabolism. Because that matters if we're dealing with weight loss, we do have to deal with the metabolism. But then we have the psychology of behavior change. So really starting to understand why we do what we do and to do it from a space without judgment, which is where the compassion piece comes in. So I like to say that compassion is not a get out of jail free card. What it is, is it's, it's opening the door to us viewing our behavior through with, with removing the lens of judgment. So now we can seek to understand instead of hide and conceal. And when we look to understand, now we can create change. Because in order to create change, we have to bring our behaviors into our conscious awareness. And that can be a really, really uncomfortable thing to do because we're going to see ourselves as we are. We're going to see our flaws. I call it wrestle with our demons in the light. Mm. It's, it's not, a, not a comfortable process. But when people are willing to step into that and they know that someone's there that has their back, now we can do this. And that's where the real change happens.
0: Jonathan, wow, that's deep. That's deep, you know, and that is so important to talk about. And so bridging over, can you tell us how did you mm. lose 100 pounds and how long did it take? And what caused you to say, <laughs> that's it. This is not going to be my life anymore.
1: Well, I often, I often joke that I've lost like 600 pounds <laughs> because I've like lost and gained weight so many times over the course of my life. And I've come to the place where I recognize that now I have a chronic condition that I manage for the rest of my life. I call it making peace with my biological reality. So because I've been obese in my life and I have not had a liposuction, all the fat cells that I created to be obese are there on my body waiting to be refilled on a moment's notice. So that's the biological reality that I live with. And for a lot, a lot of time, well, most of my my adult life, I, I fought that. You know, I had the idea of the happily ever after. If I just do this for this stretch of time and lose the weight, then it'll be good. I didn't want to acknowledge that, no, this is a chronic condition that I must live with and manage for the rest of my life. But once I made peace with that, that was really key in being able to lose the weight and keep it off. Because I, I think when people ask the question, well, how did you lose 100 pounds? What they're looking for is, can you give me a template to follow? And if I follow your template, that maybe this will work for me. And, and truthfully, that that won't necessarily work. But what we can do is what are the principles? And if I can, you know, when I work with somebody, my thinking is this, I don't come in saying I'm the guru, you're the dummy. I say, we are going to work together. Uh, I'm the tour guide, but this is your journey. Mm. So I'm going to put, put forward a principle and say, I would like you to implement this and then bring feedback to me. Does this work? How does it work? What does it trigger? What works for you? What doesn't? And how do we adjust it? So I think what really predicts long-term success is is um like this ability to adjust it's like a dial mindset versus a switch mindset and so yes, obviously we could look at the fundamentals of health lifestyle so quality nutrition mostly whole foods, hydration sleep stress management and those are all we could all you know those are all big headings that could you know we could go into some detail so we want to engineer that part of it but we also we also need to look a little bit further it's like if knowledge isn't the issue because we live in the age of Google, we have mm-hmm. basically infinite knowledge. So there's this gap between knowing and doing. And that's the the gap that we're trying to bridge. Cause this was the thing that discouraged me the most. How can I know what I know? I'm very educated and I can't seem to do it. That was the most frustrating thing.
0: It is very frustrating. It is so frustrating. It's like, what is stopping me?
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it, I mean, like, I never knew that had things to do with like my perspective on masculinity and what that actually is. Like you think like, what on earth does that have to do with weight loss, compassion, self love, wh- what like, and, and as a male, like talking about this, are you kidding? Like I didn't grow, like, I love my dad. My dad's a, he's a great grandfather to my grandson. Like, it's just beautiful to see, but we didn't grow up talking about self love or self compassion. So I didn't know what that was. So, you know, I mentioned in in the introduction, there was a question that changed my life. And, and, uh, maybe, maybe I'll scratch that itch early on. <laughs> so, um, I was, I, I, hired a coach. I actually tried hiring coaches. It, it failed multiple times and I was really, I was ready to give up. I was like, I'm a hopeless case. Nobody seems to know what's wrong with me. Nobody seems to be able to help me. Information isn't helping me. I'm just going to be fat for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's the place I got to. So kind of as a last ditch effort, I was like, okay, I'm going to hire this coach. He's in his forties, but he's, he's, he's jacked. He's healthy. He looks physically strong. I think, you know, maybe this guy can help me. Now, I still thought that he was going to give me a meal plan and macros, but he was going to have some sort of magical combination of these things because I'm, I'm a former engineer, so I like to engineer tinker variable. So mm-hmm. I thought he's going to give me the plan, the, the missing variables. Well, he did, but they were not what I thought. So one day he said, Jonathan, I have a question for you. He said, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down that list do I go before I see your name?
0: Oh! Jonathan, uh, let me see. You get a big clap for that one. That is, like, <laughs> yeah. that is number one.
1: Well, and and really Coach Scott gets the credit for it. I still to this day, five, six years later, reach out to him and say thank you. And he actually sent me a video message for my 40th birthday and we hadn't communicated for over a year. But that question stopped me cold because it wasn't that I was near the bottom of the list. It was I was not on the list. So now I had to confront this kind of this reality I did not believe that I was worthy of my own self-love and care. Where did that come from? How did I get to that place? Because until I corrected that, like nothing else was going to fall into place. So now you go, well, gosh, now that I've had this moment of shock, basically that I, I I don't even love and care about myself. I think I'm almost like worthless. How do I learn self-love? You know, what what does that even look like when I've right. never talked about it? And what does it look like for you know? In, because men don't talk about this stuff. And so it actually began with something really simple. And it, it you know, I, I, sometimes like I say simple, but it's not as easy, but I look back sometimes. and I'm kind of like, Oh my gosh, why didn't I see this? But we don't know what we don't know. So it started with brushing my teeth. So brushing my teeth is an act of self care. Every time I did that, I was saying I am worthy of self care. And so it became the thing that I did first thing in the morning. First thing I did when I woke up was brush my teeth and I think most will do this anyways, but it, became, it took on a different meaning because I think if I want to change a belief, I have to take an action contrary to the current belief that I hold. But if I make it too big, my my emotional brick wall is going to go up. My, my brain's going to try and defend and hold my position. So it has to slip in under the radar. So mm. brushing my teeth was safe. It was safe, a safe act of self-care that really didn't confront my vision of what masculinity was. And then we just kind of built on that. And then I was, okay, now you're going to drink a glass of water. You're going to hydrate. And everything took was done through the lens of self-care until eventually I started to realize that I'm actually worthy of love and care. And everybody in my life benefits when I nurture and nourish myself.
0: Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, – wh- I- it's that, yeah, so where, okay, so now my next question, if that's mm. okay, and if Please. this is too much, you just say, ah, can't do that, okay? <laughs> so where did you learn that you weren't worthy? What happened? What Did, did yeah, you go in the... deeper, like, where is this coming from?
1: Well, here's what I, I've sort of pieced together, because I don't know that I have a definitive answer, but I, so my grandfather um, was a World War II veteran, and he was captured by the Germans. He's from New Zealand, but he was captured wow. by the Germans in oh, North wow. Africa and, and a prisoner of war for a couple of years of the Germans. And obviously that that severely damaged him. And, and just the horrors of war, um, let alone. So he married and fathered children out of a sense of duty. That's what a man, a man did. And that, so that's what he did. But he didn't do it because he wanted to be a father or loved kids. And so he didn't show my dad or his brothers any kind of fatherly love. It was just criticism and do what you're told and get a smack upside the head. If it's your – you know, that that was how they were raised. And so, my dad never really grew up knowing what sort of the love of father is. Now, he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps, but he didn't really know what to do because he's never had that pattern. And so, I think my dad for all of his life was really hard on himself. Mm-hmm. And my dad is so intelligent, like a genius, level intellect. Like he's a walking encyclopedia,
0: mm.
1: even, even in his 70s. Like, and in fact, we joke because he had an encyclopedia set that he used to just read. Mm. <laughs> like, that's the sort of brain that he has. And he could mm. sit down and play the piano and play like Rachmaninoff and this classical music just from memory. Mm. But that was never nurtured. Like, so that sort of I look at these gifts that he has, and I'm like, and and you know, that was never nurtured. I and mean, the things he, he could have potentially done. So he never really knew how to show us how to like love and care for ourselves. Now, he was very much, I would say his language of love, if we were to use that analogy or that perspective, was acts of service. So caring for other people, doing things to serve other people. So I never really had this idea of what self-love looked like. Um, Ultimately... And so so and then you think about how society sort of conditioned men to be. You know, you're either Homer Simpson or you're Rambo. Like that was I grew up with, like in the 1980s and 1990s, that's what it was. Like you're either this hypermasculine, super muscular, like invincible superhero of a man or you're this fat lovable doofus who's kind of a hopeless failure. There was no there was what, what else were, you know, was held up for us to sort of aspire to and neither of those are you know, realistic or ideal. And so that that's kind of where i piece together and and then and then think about how we're taught like emotions are not a good thing for men we don't show emotions emotions are weakness and so on right, and if anybody right. sees you cry be you know, be ashamed of that and i'm an empath so i, I used to have a lot of temper Yay. tantrums as a kid right be,
0: you're going to be a great you are a great dad if you're
1: an <laughs> well, <empath>. thank you <laughs> yeah was well, it's, it's amazing I'll, 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 we'll touch on that in a moment yeah, but i yeah. just think so i used to have temper tantrums as a kid and I got into a lot of fights because I would just like blow my top. But what I didn't realize and I didn't know, I didn't have any language to sort of describe it. It's only in recent years that I talk about being an empath, but I would feel other people's energy and I would take on their emotions and, and I would get so wound up that it had to come out somehow. And so it would just come out in this temper tantrum, whether it was getting into a fight with somebody or punching a hole in the wall, or these emotions had to be expressed. And and that was how I got them out of my body, I guess, in a sense. But then I learned how to hide them and suppress them because I was like, well, this isn't – I don't want to go through life getting into fights because the irony is I'd get into a fight with a kid and I'd go home and cry because I'd hurt somebody. Like even win or lose, like back back when we got into fights as kids, it was like if the kid got knocked down, look at the fight's over. Like there was none of this, you know, there was this weird sort of code of conduct we used to have around getting into fights. Okay, you knock down, I win, you lose, we're done. You know, we might even shake hands and go, okay, that's it, you know, beef settled. But I would go home and cry afterwards because I, I, I felt it in my heart that I'd hurt somebody. And... And, but I would hide that. I would, I would like, you know, I didn't want anybody to see that this was happening because I was like, well, what are people going to think if they knew that like, this is actually who I am. So we put on kind of this tough exterior. I put on this sort of tough exterior. Um, you know, I, I got into like motorcycle racing and powerlifting and listening to heavy metal and, and all this kind of sort of hyper masculine type behavior, because I thought, well, this is how I need to present to the world. And the irony is, is like, I'm just a big teddy bear who, who has an incredible heart of love for people. And it turns out that I can still be a strong masculine man. And have a heart of love and caring for people. Like, the two are not incompatible. So, but it took me almost 40 years to figure that out.
0: (laughs) Drop the mic again! Like, oh my Uh, gosh, I just love you. Listen. Yeah, I'm an empath too. <laughs> and yeah. I used to throw temper tantrums. You're speaking to your sister here <laughs> yeah. from a different mother. So yeah. how how do you how did you come to terms now with the fact that mm. you are an empath? And how are you doing that positively? Because your Mm. son is watching and he may grow up to be an empath and there are other empathic men out there. So Mm. positively, what have you had to learn? Like what shifted? What did you, did you do?
1: Well, okay. So there, there's a part of my story and if it's a value, we can share more of it, but I went through trauma about 11 years ago. So living in South Africa, I was attacked. And I wasn't really mentally prepared to go through that. So that really was the start of it all. And and I look back and I'm actually grateful for that experience. So I was nearly beaten to death by four men. And nothing in life sort of prepares you to go through that level of trauma, that sort of violent act and people, men smiling as they're stomping and kicking you and beating you and and whatnot. Wow. So that's, I fell into binge eating and food addiction as a way to try to cope, basically, because I didn't know what now my emotions are on overdrive. So I'm already an empath that's gone through this trauma. That's, you know, and it was just, it was out of control.
0: And, and it was, you didn't, th- there was no, re- they, it just happened?
1: Did- well, the, there's a bit of a backstory. So we were in South Africa living in a nature reserve, um, teaching underprivileged youth life skills. So working on their employability, particularly in the realm of hospitality. And so we'd bring them out to this location, this beautiful location. We would teach them, we'd set up this, the education center like a restaurant and teach them all the different positions around it. We do team building. It was this amazing work that we did. I loved it. But one night I was walking back to the cabin so there was an instructor's cabin that was probably a few hundred feet or a hundred meters away from where the other, the the main building was, and it was at night, and the cabin's tucked off to the side in the bushes. And I went back in there, the door was ajar, and there's three guys in there, and there's a fourth guy outside that I didn't see who smashed me across the head with a rock, and then they jumped out, and I got smashed across the head again and fell over, and then they just started beating on me, and uh, yeah, I know, I didn't know for them. no they didn't reason,
0: me. just just because. Well,
1: how they got onto a nature reserve that's 45 minutes from a city and, and into this and knew that I was there. Well, one of the guys, I'm pretty sure, was a ranger, but he was not in uniform and, and so on. And so the way that South Africa works, like, it's quite a violent place. Um, it, it really is. And it's a traumatized society, really. That's part of the, the reason for this. Mm. And so they would have known there's white people out there. Um, so part of it was to rob, but also part of it was to actually inflict violence. Because I, I say that I was a, a representation of something they felt had historically oppressed them. Mm. So it had nothing to do with me, Jonathan, okay. right? It was it was merely – I was a representation of something. Okay. And and so they – this is what they do. And they actually beat a man to death the night before. They, they did the same thing. And so I was – by the grace of God, I'm alive. You know, I mean, how do you get the strength after being smashed over the head with a rock multiple times to, to get up and at least fight them off enough to break free and get over to where some help is, you know? Wow. So – um, yeah, that was, so now these emotions are all out of control as I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do. You know, I'm just overwhelmed on a daily basis with, and, and I, I knew that like, like the, there was anger and there's serious rage. And like, I wanted to be violent towards, I, didn't, I just didn't say I wanted to, I had thoughts of like violent vengeance, you know, coming in intrusive thoughts every day. And it was really, really hard because I still knew that I wasn't this violent person. And yet my brain was starting to entertain these really, really violent thoughts And, uh, to the point where I was like, cause we lived in South Africa for another four months after this happened and our Mm. house kept getting broken into. And I was like, man, I want to set traps. I want them to break in. I want to catch them in this trap and I'm going to have the power this time. And when I knew that that was starting to run through my head, I knew like, we have to get out of here because one way or another, something really bad is going to happen either to me or to somebody else. And either way, I'm going to horribly regret it. And so we went back to Australia where my wife is from. I ended up working on a cotton farm in like rural Australia. Like the nearest town was like 30 miles away and had like 500 people in it. So as rural as you can get. And it probably took a month after that for me to realize that I can sleep at night and there wasn't somebody trying to break in. There's mm. nobody coming for me, you know? Um, but it was about uh, eight months after the incident happened, maybe that the first stage of healing started. So, I got exhausted from just being enraged all the time. And obviously it was really hard to live with. I was not an easy person to live with. My wife, we're together 17 years now. I mean, she's incredible. Um, she's, she's been by my side through all of this. And, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't easy to be with. So we went back to Turkey and to, to live with uh, my brother who lives in Istanbul. And one night I just, I couldn't sleep and I was like, I have to, I have to tell somebody my story. I just can't keep all of this because we had just told this story of like, you know, I kinda of got attacked or whatever and and you know, but I'm okay and blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to tell people what had actually happened. You know, for shame. I didn't want to scare people, whatever. The reality was they nearly beat me to death. And um so I, I felt like I had to write to this one friend and told him this story. And it just it was maybe the first part of kind of getting it off my chest and being like, in that moment, like I realized I can't die tonight. Um, because I felt like, so I believe that God brought me through this experience, but I felt like I can't die tonight because my relationship with God, I, I, I thought about those words to, I think it's to Belshazzar, even weighed in the balances and found wanting. So it was like in the moment of truth, when I was faced with my own mortality and possibly dying that night, I was like, uh-oh. Like I, I, call, myself, I call myself a cerebral Christian where it's like I can quote verses, I can talk about the Bible, and I can sound like a really good Christian, but it's like your heart isn't in this. Yeah. And so God showed me that in this experience. And so um, now I realize that if I'm going to break free from this, I actually have to forgive these men.
0: I and was going to ask you that, but I thought that was such the wrong timing. So the, I was told, <laughs> not now, don't ask that question. Yeah, forgiveness. <laughs> Glad you brought yeah. it up. Yeah. Because well, that's part so, of your healing, right?
1: Yeah. And the question is like, you know, I made the decision to forgive after I wrote this email and I heard back from this friend, and I was like, "Okay, I have to forgive these men. That's like the only way forward." But how do you do that now? Mm. So, you know, because again, I'd read about forgiveness in the Bible, and this is what it talks about, and this is what you're supposed to do. But how do you forgive mm. men that tried to kill me and would kill me again if they saw me? Mm. You know, that was that was the challenge because it was. I wish it was in one sense. I say I wish it was as easy as just saying I forgive you and I was free. It, it wasn't. There was a whole process to go through. But in short, what what it sort of boiled down to was. I had to ask the question, "What happened to them?" So mm-hmm. what happened in their life that got them to this place, where mm-hmm. this is what they're doing? You know, Because I don't believe they were born violent murderers.:
0: Mm-mm. Nobody so is. Ha- Nobody right. is.:
1: So how did they get there? And I don't know the answer to that question, but at least if I understood that something, you know, if they, were, if they grew up in Canada the way that I did, they probably would be on entirely different paths in life. And so every time that I felt the anger or the rage coming up, I, I tried to cultivate this sense of compassion for them, not to excuse what they did or to absolve them of what they did, but to re- recognize that that this was outside of like my control. And I realized that not only like, it wasn't just that like, I forgive you, but I hope God smites you. That's not forgiveness because mm-hmm. I'm still holding not something in my all. heart. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it was like, I want God to forgive you too. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what happened to you and how you got there. And so it took a number of months to really get to the place where I could sort of feel free from it. But the the, the next challenge was I kind of fell into this pattern of self-loathing and self-hatred. So I could forgive them, but I still hadn't – at this point in my life, I hadn't yet bridged the gap into like self-love. What does that look like? So I started to feel very ashamed – well, I was already very ashamed – that I was obese. And I used to be an athlete. And so I had this image of what I used to look like and I felt like this – athlete that was trapped in a fat body and that my body had somehow betrayed me and let me down. So I became very angry at my own body and I would sometimes eat out of spite to like mm. punish my body for, mm, mm. For, for for letting me down. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was this really difficult place to be. So then dieting was a way to try and punish my body as well. I'm going to starve you into submission, mm. you know, Still coming from this angry place, I'm, I'm going to force you to lose weight because you, you, you know, this stupid body won't do what I want it to do. And I had much stronger language than that, but we won't, we won't go. We there. won't
0: need to share that. here. The <laughs> no. world already hears enough of that stuff. They, they,
1: they do, they do. <laughs> um, and and really, this is a story of hope. But
0: yes, it is so a story of hope.
1: It was when that coach, my coach Scott, um, asked me that question, and really, nobody had ever offered me this idea that I was allowed to love myself. Now, I probably probably also thought that self-love meant self-absorption or, uh, you know, some kind of conceit or arrogance. And it's funny because, like, I think I'm, like, the, about the furthest thing – like, people who are worried about being arrogant are probably the furthest thing from ever, like – uh, you know, at risk of ever being arrogant. <laughs> if that's, yeah. What you're no, we're about. not
0: talking about that. We're talking about loving yourself so mm. that you can love others. Cause if you don't love yeah. yourself, you cannot love others. Yeah. If you hate yourself, all you know is to hate others and to be critical right. and judgmental. Yeah. And, Cause oh. we take, I was taking how I saw myself
1: projecting that onto other people and assuming mm-hmm. that they saw me the same way. And that colored every relationship I had as well. It just created this incredible tension in relationships. I, like, I mean, I was the jolly fat guy, I was, you know, hey, I was fun at a party, encouraging everyone to indulge and overeat and all that to sort of cover up for my own overeating behaviors. And, mm. you know, but at, at home I was I was miserable and I was frustrated and I didn't, but I didn't know what to do. And I think this is the where a lot of people still find themselves is like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how right. to start.
0: Yeah. So as an empath, try expressing yourself positively, you went on a journey to mm. figure out what to do. So how, what, you know. What and and so,
1: yeah, we talked about sort of the self-love and the, the kind of the steps that I took to cultivate self-love. And in, in, I say in a very safe way, and the reason I use the word safe is because the way that our brain works is if we try to create change that's too much of a departure from who we presently see ourselves to be, our brain will inherently put up a, a resistance. It's, a, it's a sort of a, a primal biological safety mechanism. And so… The way that we would like change to happen is, you know, we create a picture in our head of who we want to be and our brain gets excited when it thinks about that picture. That's amazing. And it starts to reward us with dopamine and it feels really good. And I think that surge in dopamine actually gets us over our fear or resistance of change, but we mistake that for motivation. And we we go really, really hard until it, your brain goes, I can't keep you high all the time. So we got to dial this back down to normal again. And then you feel like I've lost all motivation and so on. And so I had to learn, you know, well, how do I how do I do this when I don't feel motivated? How do what does that look like? Because the truth is, like, even today, like not, not necessarily today, but to this day, it's not like I feel motivated every single day. No. But No, it's, it's a
0: decision you have yeah. to make every day.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think we got maybe as a culture, we kind of got hooked on sort of motivational videos and inspirational speeches and things like that. And this idea that there's this endless well of motivation. I'm like, well, there's not, but I will say that I have what I call my emotionally compelling reason. So, and that, and now it's my son. So he, he is like, I can hear him in the background. Actually. Um, he is very talkative, which is hilarious because I can't yet understand what he says, but he waves his arms around. He talks and he's telling these (laughs) great stories. And I just want to encourage, I just love it. I, I, you know, I cherish everything that he does right now. I mean, I think I always will, but, um, it, it's, but a recognizing like, okay, I I love him in a way that I didn't know a human being could love, and I think every parent probably feels that once they actually hold their own child, and they're, mm. especially the first one, mm. it's like I, you know, and I realize, for him, I want to be in his life. Yes, I want to be present in his life, physically present. I want to be with him. I want to get on the floor and play with him. I want to, you know, be able to pick him up and scoop him up and wrestle with him and, and and run after him and things like that. Well, if I'm going to be able to do that, I actually have to take care of my health. And so that means that we you know when my brain still goes, Hey, you should get a Big Mac, you know, or hey, you just drove past a pizza place and they're three bucks a slice, go and grab a slice. That those thoughts still enter my head all the time. Oh yeah. And and so I have to go, well, what's the trade-off? Because if I choose that, what am I saying? If I say yes to that, what am I saying no to? That's right. And and it's this, I think, breaking free from this idea that we can necessarily have it all. Now, we can have the best, but we can't necessarily have it all in a, in a sense that, well, I can't really eat donuts and pizza on a daily basis and expect to be fit and healthy and active and present in my son's life. So I have to decide what means the most to me. And the reason I call it an emotionally compelling reason is because really our, our logical brain is overridden by our emotions most of the time. And so logically and say, well, I don't want to have a heart attack and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, no, really what we, what I need is a reason that like, when I think about the feeling that I get when I hold my son in my arms and I go, that's why I do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm willing to now be uncomfortable and sacrifice because of what I want to be for him.
0: Amen. Absolutely, and and I love that you've got you've gotten to that point. Do you know how many people aren't there, and mm. they haven't made their kids the priority? Like, you're you're making you the priority by making your child the priority. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And holding yeah. that image, I always say to people, please hold the image of who and what you want to become, and just hold yeah. it because we always walk towards that image.
1: Yeah, I love that because we we I say that we. We steer towards what we focus on.
0: That's right. And there's a
1: lesson from my dad when I was driving, learning how to drive. He's like, don't look at the tree when you're turning a corner. That's right, (laughs) because you'll hit it. (laughs) You'll drive right into that tree. So so that stays with me. It's like, don't look at the tree when you're turning a corner. That's right. Because you're driving right into that tree. And, you you know, the mind, the mind is really... Uh. It's... So, you know, being in medicine and, and doing what you do, like the placebo effect... Like whenever medical research is done, they have to account for the placebo effect because the mind has that much of an impact on the body. It's not that exclusively it can change things for you. But, you know, I'll just cite one example because I thought this was fascinating. They took two groups of people. And and one of them, they had physically do finger strengthening exercises, whatever that looks like. You know, maybe they had those gripper things. Mm -hmm. The other group, they had just visualized doing them. And group one, they saw a 30% increase in finger strength. They're the ones that physically did the action. Group two who just laid it, sat in a chair, laid on a bed and visualized doing it had a 22% increase in strength just by picturing in their mind. Isn't that like, Isn't that like? I mean, I was stunned. I was like, I did not realize it could be that powerful. But then we recognize that that's a two-way street. So if your mind can be that powerful positively, imagine what can happen if it goes in the wrong
0: direction. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what your father says. If you focus <laughs> on that tree, you're going to, if you focus on the tree Metaphorically mm. in our life, the negative. Then mm. guess what? You will hit that.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I think we've been conditioned to fix everything that's wrong with us. Find so our our brains are hardwired to look for negativity. Right now, again, this is a primal protective thing. You know, hey, look, if we didn't have the electricity and the internet and information and all that, you don't know what's on the next savannah or on the other side of that mountain or whatever. Okay, you need to be hunting for threats because it's a hostile world out there. So that's the brain that we have, but we don't live in that world now. We live in the you know the twenty first century world, but our brain is still wired to look for negativity, and so if we can recognize that, well, what's the counter to that? And for me, it's gratitude. Mm-hmm. So. And it, it, I, I fear that sometimes it sounds cliche to talk about it. Really, gratitude is teaching our brain to look for good things, teaching oh, yeah. our brain to to look for what's good in our life and making that a practice. So it's me holding my son at two o'clock in the morning and then going, I'm so grateful to hold this precious little boy in my arms mm-hmm. and and just look at his beautiful little face as he falls asleep. And he's got complete trust in me, like that sort of feeling versus I'm so annoyed that this stupid little human woke me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Right. Now I, I, this isn't to shame anybody who, if that thought crosses your mind. No, like, cause we get you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> th- like uh, admittedly, like when I'm kind of rolling out of bed and going, Oh man, kid, why don't you just uh, go to sleep? Like I'm just so, I just want sleep too. Yeah. But like when I'm holding him in my arms, I'm like, I don't want him to feel that. I don't want him to feel that he is an inconvenience to me. I don't want him to feel that he is imposing on me. I want him to feel safe and secure in my arms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I kind of, you know, so yes, I have that first thought of like, I'm annoyed that it's two o'clock in the morning. But then woken you change
0: it, but then you yeah. see, you switch, you turn channels, mm-hmm. you yeah. get your remote control in your mind and you change it. Yes. And that is, that's work. That's a habit that you've yeah. learned to do when you're semi-comatose at 2.15 yeah. in the morning.
1: Right. It, can, it, it goes to like the other, like the midbrain and the midbrain yeah, just kind of takes over. And we can learn
0: those things, but yeah. it's a choice. We have yeah. to make that choice. Something I always uh, encourage people to do at the end of the day, go on a treasure hunt and just oh, just say, yeah. oh, yeah, thank you. Well, I, because I believe in God. Yeah. Um, thank you, God, that I had a hot cup of coffee and I got mm-hmm. to be with my husband this morning. You know, just go through the day of all the beautiful things because you know what happens? When you're grateful, you get more. But when yeah. you're not grateful, you're not going to get more. You're just so negative.
1: I'm so stealing that. Like with all of my clients. Go. I'm like go, go. Go on a treasure <laughs> hunt. Because I, I already have them practice gratitude, but I just, I love the idea of the end of day treasure hunt. Yeah. You know, and it's it's something that like my wife and I try to do. And I say, try. And try. I, I'm like, yeah, I know. I I'm, I don't like that word, but it's it's the, it's the way we, it's the language we use when we're like hedging going like, okay, I could probably do better at this.
0: <laughs> we can all do better.
1: But, you know, there, there's something about, like, like I'm Christian as well, and like I, I've said maybe in the past, I try not to wear it on my sleeve because I, I'd rather just people recognize that there's something in my life that allows me to live with greater peace and hope and joy and yeah. become interested in it than me trying to, like, you know, push it in anybody's totally. face. But yeah. there's there's tenets about, like, like, like Jesus' teachings that I, I really value. So, because I think about, it like, everything that God asks us to do actually makes our life better. Yeah, And that's a really, once I took that perspective, I stopped feeling like I was a, I was being a Christian because I had to, I had to, cause I don't want to go to hell, you know? And it's like, well, God commands us to be thankful, but what does that do? That brings more joy into our life. Yes. It's like, oh, God commands us to forgive. Not just as a good suggestion, it's you must forgive. Well, forgiveness set me free. Yes. So the commandments of God make my life better. And it's like, Oh. Oh, okay. And then, and then, so the one that I often think about is self-denial. So that, that's probably the one that people grapple with the most. Well, if this makes me feel good, what's the problem? I'm like, well, heroin makes you feel good. That's a real problem. You know, so the, 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 there's a difference between happiness and pleasure in the brain. There's two different circuits, right? One's primarily dopamine based. One's primarily serotonin based in a simplification of it. So the pursuit of pleasure leads us to addiction and addiction leads us to death. And so when we recognize that we go, what is self-denial? It's, it's sometimes saying no to pleasure so that we don't fall down the path of addiction because God understands how he created us. Mm-hmm. And so even self-denial, it's, it's the road to life. Mm-hmm. It's the road to a better life, even here and now on earth. And so I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. Actually, this
0: is. Cause it's good for us. You know? Yeah. And I just, I want to just like, <laughs> stop right there. <laughs> I want to, mm. I do have a hand that goes stop, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just stop right there. Um, I wanted to say, remember how you said um, self-love and how guys aren't supposed to love themselves? Well, I want to back up and just mm. remem- remind people, for those that believe in God, if not, just pull down the curtain right now, but for those who believe God... um. Just know that he loves you unconditionally. Mm, and that yeah. is part of the healing. Like once you receive that in your life, then you can love yourself and then you can love your enemies like mm. the guys who tried to kill you. And yeah. for to forgive somebody, because I had to forgive my father. He didn't know what he was doing, you know, but he mm. just didn't have a clue. But part of being able to, to get better for both you and I is to forgive. And I always say that people ask me, well, how do you know when you've forgiven enough? You know, when you have forgiven, when the thought or the image or the name or the person is in front of you, and you don't feel like killing them. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) you actually have love. You actually have mercy. You actually want goodness for them. Mm -hmm. So the love of God really helps us learn to love ourselves.
1: I I, I mean, I love that. And I think, um, (laughs) When I became grateful for the experience is when I felt like that experience was complete. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. And and you know, later on, uh six years after that experience, seven years after that experience, I lost my life savings in a in, in sort of a business betrayal.
0: Oh, so you lost everything. Mm. You hit rock bottom. So,
1: yeah. So so and I was still on, on this journey of like sort of emotional healing and whatnot, and as an empath, I was preyed on by a narcissist. Ooh. And you know, I, I use I try to use that term carefully because I do believe it gets thrown around a little too lightly on social media. Like there is a clinical definition of narcissistic personality disorder, and don't, a very small percentage of people actually fit that. And I th- I'm I'm only putting this qualifier in because I'm afraid that sometimes people just say someone did something I don't like, therefore they're a narcissist. I'm like, no, it doesn't right. quite work like that. <laughs> you know? Like, we're talking an actual pathological liar who can lie to your face without a trace of conscience. You know, and uh, so and I got very uh, good, uh, good I, definition. Mm-hmm. And so I got sucked in by this. I thought I was building an asset. I thought I was building a business and all this kind of stuff. And and it was the business that I was giving my life to in one sense, way too much of it. And my wife spotted it way before I did that I was being manipulated. And I didn't want to believe it was happening again. It had to do with again my sense of self and my former business partner. He's a natural bodybuilder. You know, he has the appearance of being financially successful. He's got an admirable physique and all of this. And I thought, and 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 a. a at this time, I thought he was a Christian man. And he was a part of the same faith that I am and so on. And so there's all these things that, that like he appeared to have everything that I want, but this is what narcissists do is they actually create an entire illusion around it. And really the business was a tax write-off for him and he, it was a sinking ship. And so this money that I was putting into the business, uh, you know, just wasn't going anywhere. And so everything that I'd sunk into it, thinking I was building this asset, this future asset for my family and maybe even a franchiseable business and all of this went right down the tubes. And I remember walking across the parking lot after a bailiff put a lock on the door and going like what do i what do I say to my wife? How do I explain to her that everything I thought I was building is gone, and we have we have nothing but a mountain of debt mm. and 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 oh I don't oh. Even know where, I don't even know where to go anymore like i I just d- dedicated like multiple years of my life to trying to build this business and sacrifice time away from her in in pursuit of trying to build a better future for us. But I look back and I go, it was the mercy of God that he, he, he brought me to that place because that business had me trapped. And, and you want to talk about faith. Well, how about when you have nothing, have no money, mountain of debt, no credit, what do we even do?
0: And, like now, and, and have supernatural joy in yeah. that difficult circumstance with childlike faith. Knowing something yeah. good's going to happen out of this situation.
1: Yeah, so we go back to the lesson on forgiveness. Well, not so I had to forgive this person who I thought was my friend, who I thought was one of my closest friends, trusted friends. And you know, after the after sort of the blinds were lifted off my eyes, and I I realized who he is. You know, a part of me, obviously, again, I would never go into business with him again, but I recognize that he's someone who's suffering. He actually doesn't know what genuine friendship and love is because, you know, he, he, I now understand more of his backstory and his parents and how he was raised and so on that led him to the place where he is this individual who operates in this world, manipulating people because he doesn't know what true love is. He doesn't know what real friendship is. He destroyed his marriage with multiple affairs. Like Ugh. he's ruined multiple people's lives with business failures and so on. And, and so it's like, I actually started to feel sorry for him and realize like, this is somebody who they don't. Like they don't know it's not to excuse the behavior, but it's like here's someone who's suffering who doesn't know what I get to know, doesn't know what real love is. You know this beautiful marriage now. I mean it's always been a good one. My wife and I just had natural chemistry, which is great. And I coasted on that for way too long, you know, before really truly appreciating her. Now that she's a mother, I'm like over the moon because I'm like motherhood is the most beautiful and amazing thing ever. Um
0: so that but, helped you heal to move forward and yeah. start climbing <clears throat> climbing out of the pit is mm. learning to forgive.
1: Yeah. And, and there's something liberating, but like kind of like losing everything. It's like, I guess yeah. I, I can build that thing that I've been way too scared to do for my entire life. Cause I didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe in my ability. And, you know, here I am, you know, actually at the time of recording this, it was four years ago to the day Wow! that I walked across that parking lot with nothing, wow. with like nothing but a mountain of debt and a business that was going nowhere and could nothing be salvaged from it. Literally four years ago to the day. That's, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Wow. Bravo. And you're here
0: and you're alive. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't succumb.
1: I built a, I built a business that I love, um, doing amazing work with people. It's incredibly fulfilling. I have a podcast that I, that I adore. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I was going to love podcasting. Um,
0: (laughs) it is pretty Um, cool talking to other people and just seeing talking to them about their journeys. I, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Um, If so if you were the president, I just, cause there's so many questions, we're <laughs> going to have to do more of this. I know that you and Clearly. my husband, you and my husband are going to be talking cause you two are kindred spirits. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, uh, so if you were the president, how would you tackle the obesity mm. epidemic? And just know that I'd be right next to you on that. Yeah. One, okay.
1: <laughs> um, I think the first thing I would do is I would put a sugar tax like, yes. And, and, and people are going to argue and be like, wow, food, freedom, liberty, ah, uh, you know, this is. Uh, no, go, it's yeah.
0: addiction. It's addiction. Yeah, like, these food companies,
1: Philip Moore is a former tobacco company. Well, they probably still produce cigarettes, but they realize we need other addictive products because, you know, they're clamping down on cigarettes. And so they have this whole portfolio of food products. So I would put a sugar tax and I would use that tax money to subsidize like low income people getting healthy food or getting to the gym or you know because the 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 way that the way that our, our our society is going like the US is going bankrupt because of how how atrocious the state of health its entire country is in like it is going bankrupt it cannot yes, save I these know, people
0: I know I know
1: And so we have to take a drastic measure to change behavior and consumption patterns and, and I, I would tax it very heavily because it is costing the government so much money and people will get angry. Like, how dare you take this away from me? This this, because Hey, when you take the drugs away from the addict,
0: whew. remember the rat cocaine, yeah. sugar, all go for the sugar,
1: but we've never in human, like, uh, you know, 200 years ago, the the average person might get, uh, what? Six pounds of sugar a year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The average person now. Gets- Hundred and fifty.
0: Hundred and fifty. Okay, so you would you would you would tax sugar.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would. I would. Um, I would. I would actually use it to subsidize, um, like people growing food, <laughs> and and like growers, coops, and things where we can get more local food. So, because what's the reason that we we say like there's two reasons, two primary reasons why we say we don't eat healthy food, too expensive and I don't have time. Right. Well, let's change those. Right. Right. Because the, let's the nation Let's start teaching benefits. people
0: how to cook instead yeah. of buying a box and pouring it over a pot of boiling water and say, this is food when it's just dead.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I think about, um, okay, how do – because I I put on my engineer's hat again and I go, okay, well, how can I make healthy eating like really simple in one sense? Well, I call outsourcing cooking to my appliances. So let's say I've got a rice cooker. Well, I can do rice or quinoa or things like that in there. Um, frozen vegetables—they're not—they're not a paragon of health, but actually, they're picked at peak ripeness and they're flash frozen, so they retain most of their nutrient integrity. Well, now I don't have to prep them because I literally just put them in a glass tray and put them in the oven and roast them. You know, is it perfect? No, but it's a step, and and I think we want to move away from this idea that we have to—it's—it's it's either all or nothing. It's either you know. Uh, fresh, like biodynamic, organic, you know, harvested under the light of the the March moon, with the cows that <laughs> yeah. were milked with like singing leprechauns or something, like, and and get to hey, what, how do I bridge the gap? Okay, look, if you're microwaving frozen vegetables, that's not like great, but it's a lot better than eating like you know fast food. That's a step in the right direction. It is,
0: it is, yeah, and and for people to give themselves a clap for for doing that, mm, yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. So I, I that, the first thing I, I would target is sugar. And, and this is from a former binge-eating food addict, man. It's not easy to overcome this stuff. No, it's not. You know? But that's, they're engineered to be addictive. So that, that's my uh That's, that's number my one. Well, then. I think
0: that's a great way to start. Um yeah. And so just as we're landing this plane... Yeah. ...into the airport... <laughs>
1: That, that's my, that's <laughs> the jet engine sort of winding down.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, you know, the, the, uh, wait, the stewardess is saying in first class, okay, we're going to be landing now. Put your seat up. What three action steps would mm. you give our listeners so that they can start winning right away? Like, you know, in yeah. one second. No, I'm joking. Not in one yeah. second, <laughs> but within well, I, a, within a week.
1: Yeah. Number one is create awareness. So how do you actually do that? Well, one of the first things I have my clients do is take photos of their meals. Really, really super simple action. There's no weighing. There's no counting. There's no calorie math. Nothing like that. Snap a photo of your meal. When you do that, what you're doing is activating your prefrontal cortex. So now you're going to eat with more awareness. So just create awareness around your behaviors because we can't change what we don't know. And 98% of our behavior happens at the subconscious level without our awareness. Yes. So we need to bring those patterns into the light. Uh, number two, get help. It doesn't have to be paid, whether it's a support group, whether it's you know a Facebook group, a, a book, uh, reading blog articles, watching, v- get help. You are not su- so superhuman that you can do this by yourself, nor should there be any shame in getting help. I still have coaches. Why? Because I'm a human and I have blind spots. Mm-hmm. So in whatever way, shape or form you can... Get some kind of, build the biggest support team you possibly can. Get everybody you can in your life on board with you trying to get healthy. You know, your your spouse, your partner, your doctor, your friends, just get them on board and be open. I want to change my life. I need your help. I can't do this alone. I'm a human being who's struggling. The moment you become open about your struggles is, is the moment a huge weight lifts off your shoulders. I thought... That when people found out that I was not a fitness model with shredded six pack abs, nobody would ever hire me in business. But it turns out that I actually, because of my understanding of the innate human struggle, I have like as busy as I've ever been, because like you get it. I'm like, yes, I do. So number one is create awareness. Number two is is build your build your support team. And number three is is cultivate gratitude. It's I, I love the idea of a treasure hunt. And it's really this idea of start teaching your brain to look for good things in your life because when you start to find good things in your life, you stop turning to food to fill a void.
0: Mm, perfect. Well said. I love it. Perfect. How? Where can the where can the listeners find you? And if this will all be yeah. in the show notes? Of course, this, of course. This is a podcast.
1: Well, I would love for everybody to go listen to an episode of Between the Before and After, and in particular, there's going to be an episode featuring a certain Doctor Isabel. Um, so. <laughs> I, I'm excited for when that gets shared up, but I would love, so I'd love for people to look up between the before and after podcast where I share stories of people who've overcome significant obstacles in their life. They're stories of hope and inspiration. And that's what I want to bring to this world. So that's, I'd love you know to connect with you there. If you want to, if you want to connect with me and, and have a chat, like what you hear is what you get. Or if you see the video, what you see is what you get. This is who you're going to talk to. Um, freedomnutritioncoach.com. So that's where you can find out more about the work that I do in term in and around nutrition. Now I will say, we're probably going to have a conversation on weight loss like you've never had before, because most people are expecting I'm going to hand you a template. I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna form a collaborative partnership where we we reverse engineer your healthy lifestyle on your terms. It's it's a pretty I love what I do. It's actually really incredible. Um, so my, yeah uh freedomnutritioncoach.com those are the two places i would say go check out my podcast um click like leave a review um i would love like to get hundreds of raving five star <laughs> reviews on my podcast that'd be that'd be so amazing um cuz i want to do more of it and share more stories about that
0: yes i i love interviewing you we'll definitely have you back <laughs> on with <laughs> chef michael okay
1: that would be an absolute pleasure
0: well thank you so much and you uh oh, I'm glad you're an empath and I'm glad you're honoring it and, and embracing it because we need more men that mm, embrace that because you're going to be teaching millions of people around the world how to take better care of themselves
1: That's the right way,
0: thing. you know, the right way, not the vanity yeah. way, but the right no. way, not with, Absolutely. not with my coach says vanity metrics, not with vanity metrics, no. but with heart metrics.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. So thank you so much for for hosting this space as well. It's it's been a real pleasure.
0: Jonathan, and I'm glad you're alive. Me too. Yeah. All right, listeners, that's a wrap for me. And Jonathan, thank you for joining us. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and share it with your family and friends because you know everybody needs that prescription of hope sometime in their life. Until next time remain unstoppable. I love you. Bye-bye.
1: Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review.